Patriots and welcome to the Patriots Prayer Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Smith, and today we are continuing our interview with congressional candidate Nate Kane. Now, Nate is also known for being the FBI whistleblower who exposed Hillary Clinton. Nate makes extraordinary claims about corruption within the agency and about information that he had or seen that was uh, related to crimes committed by Hillary Clinton. As a result, his family was targeted and his life was turned upside down. I'm compelled to believe every word that Nate says. And the reason why is nobody in their right mind would turn their own lives upside down if they weren't absolutely compelled to by a belief in something more and better. Having uh, some integrity, right? So here's a guy who can't be bought. He's not paid for like most of the people in our government. That's our number one complaint today is that the people who represent us do not represent our best interests, but they represent their own best interests. They're controlled by lobbyists and special interest groups. So here's a guy who can't be bought, and for that reason, he's one of the most dangerous people running for Congress today, and we completely support him. Now, in the description below this video, you'll find uh, the link that will allow you to donate to Nate's campaign, and I am... uh, I'm compelling you to do that, right? So uh, I would ask that you consider definitely giving whatever you can to somebody who's willing to go out there and actually represent the American people's will and who actually will follow through on the things that he says that he will do. Unlike 80, 90 plus percent of other politicians, as we have all seen throughout the years. So it would be nice to have someone who's truly an America First candidate who has the best interest of America at heart. And with no further ado, let's get right into this with Nate Kane. You know, you got to have some inside guys, but you also need to be verifying things with outside uh, open source intelligence. So what about the Twitter files, um, Nate? You you see what Matt Taibbi exposed. You yeah. see what happened at Facebook with them holding back the laptop story prior to the election. Um and my question is to to you, I mean, it, uh, how far does that go? If you think that we only did this at Twitter and Facebook, wouldn't it be, uh, I mean, my question is, Look, are I, they I doing signed it without NBC, much, ABC, and, and other news organizations as well as uh, social let's just media put it this companies? way. Without, without uh, going too far into it, I signed multiple non-disclosures when I was at NSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, showing relationships between multiple companies and our government. Mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. And it, it was uh, so when the when Matt Taibbi exposed Twitter, that's the tip of the iceberg. The very tip of the iceberg. I want my it audience goes, to remember Project Mockingbird. Way deeper than that. <laughs> and just take a look at that. So um, there's a lot of other companies involved, and uh, it's why Section 702 works. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't work if they didn't have access to everything. Right. Well, what about Prop 230, giving the social media companies license to discriminate? Uh, for instance, I'm sure some of what we said on here are going to kind of turn some heads at some of these places already and uh, i would like to see a congress that's willing to 
modify section 230 to allow well, they should re- they should as far as i'm concerned um i don't see the value of it because um the intent for which congress created it was so that if uh if you had um uh you had a choice you could either be a publishing company or you know you can you know uh or you could be a utility right. uh, if you were a utility then you were, you know, basically free from all liability, you know, for say somebody posting child porn, you know, um, or posting, you know, uh, something, you know, some terrorist, you know, uh, you know, putting stuff out there to, to try to, you know, cause an event or something. So you wouldn't get sued as a company. That, that's right. The message board. Correct. That's right. Right. Your, your job, you know, and, and you could have community standards, but you know, but you really, you could not be do, making editorial decisions over what was being posted. That was the whole point of it. Um, the, the other option is uh, you have editorial decisions, but then you are responsible mm-hmm. uh, for your content and you can be held liable. But, you know, they're getting to eat their cake and, you know, uh, you know they're, it's they're legalized discrimination. Their, they're able to have their cake and eat it too because um, they're able to discriminate on the basis of, you know, ideology and political persuasion and all that kind of stuff. Yet they're given all the protections of a utility. And, uh, and then oftentimes that includes money, by the way. Yeah. Uh, they get, you know, I was monetized and demonetized on the same yep. day, on the yeah. same day. Uh, yeah. My reach was up well over a million on one platform. I'm not going to say their name just to incur their wrath again, but uh my reach was up there pretty high, and, and within the same day, that reach was cut in, yeah. in by seventy percent. Yeah, no, I mean honestly, there needs to be a massive uh, lawsuit against that company that you don't want to name uh, because they stole money directly out of the you know out of the pockets of uh, those that were hosting services on their um, you know platform, and uh, there are many of them that did not get paid. Uh, you know, and I'm sure it amounts to probably billions of dollars. I would imagine because they had. A, uh, it has to be. Yeah, I've um, taken it upon myself to try my best. I wouldn't say unionize, but there's a group of us podcasters with similar ideology, and we're all in contact with one another, and we all share this information amongst ourselves. And so we're always there to help each other when we run mm-hmm. into brick walls and that sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. So, so there's there's a lot of um, the the documents included a lot of things, but it was mostly the suspicious activity report. So at the end of our conversation, he says, um, look, we're mostly interested in the Uranium One stuff because they were had an ongoing investigation into it and they were getting stonewalled. And he says, uh, you know, I hate to ask this, but are you willing to go back in and get more for us? And he said, look, we, we need, he says, we have reason to believe there's a document uh, an intelligence report that will have dates and times and it will have names and it will show that the FBI knew that Rossatom was dirty and was trying to infiltrate our uranium supply chain prior. So they must have had other whistleblowers too. So the Rossatom was the one you're saying Bill Clinton was. No, 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 no. Rossatom was the company. Well, yeah, yeah. He got the, he got the speaking fee. Right. Okay. And yeah. And, and Hillary Clinton uh, was the chairman of the, the, you know, of the CFIUS and approved, you know, the cell. So, um, you know, so I ended up basically agreeing 
you know, kind of reluctantly because I had one week left and, um, and it took me a long time to like work up the nerve to walk out. Oh my goodness. I could imagine you're risking your life. Yep. So I went back in to work, uh, I think the following Monday and, um, found that document. It was not hard to find. It existed and I had seen it before. <laughs> and, uh, and so I found that intelligence report. Um, I grabbed it. And while I was in there, I happened to find a whole lot of other um, office of the executive, uh, you know, uh, daily reports from the FBI that showed that Obama and Biden also knew about all this stuff with Rossiton because they were being briefed from the FBI on it. So I grabbed those two. And then I grabbed a copy of all the documents that I had before, put them all on one thumb drive and walked out. And we had set up ahead of time. So when I was leaving that first meeting, um, the contact told me, he said, Hey, uh, I asked him, I said, how do you want me to you know, reach out? Do you want me to call you? And he says, no, 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 no. He says, we have reason to believe that we're being spied on by the intelligence community. Now think about that for a minute. These are the guys, the hipsy, the sissy, they, their job in Congress is to have oversight over the intelligence community to make sure they're not abusing their tools. And yet they believed that they were being spied on. And it turns yeah. out they were right. The, the, um, the tails wagging the dog. That's right. Chuck Grassley uh, later, uh, he published a, a, a declassified document. Um, and I, I believe it's still on the Senate Judiciary's uh, webpage that showed that the CIA had been spying on both the House and Senate Intel committees in order to find whistleblowers. So, yeah. I mean, you, how much more illegal can you possibly get? You're targeting Americans that are covered by law. I mean, and there's no there, one. There is a simple, out. there's a simple solution for all this, by the way, it's called defund them all. You cut the money and you tell them you're not getting another dime until you make changes. And then you, you stop, you stop uh, renewing section 702. And you the, start basically demanding, you know, the Congress holds the power of the purse. But here's why I think they don't do it. When you have the kind of ability to spy on sitting members of Congress and right. judges and you've compromised. How them. many of these guys are blackmailed? Yeah. You know, well, I we mean, know look, the allegations that just came forth right now. So the Biden administration well, it just came out. Man. There's, there's, there's 257,000. Yeah. Uh, Americans were spied on. This was re revealed. Oh by yeah, the when they, they tried to say it was by accident. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this judge said no. Th these were intentionally they were spied on. And That's then right. I think the IG said there's over a million. Over a million. Now, um, how, how do you world? have the manpower to spy on a million people? How is that even possible? You know, it, it, it's it's. Are they employing? I mean, it's got to be like AI and things like that that they. Well, do you remember? Um, do you remember when um, Horowitz's office did a? Uh, they did a report on uses and abuses of uh, Section Seven Hundred Two. They picked, I think it was something like, I don't know, like twenty or thirty random files. You know, random uh, court approvals, okay. and they dug into them. And they found that 80% of them were flat out lies. Like the, to get the, the FISA warrant was a lie, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm not, this was not section seven of this was actual FISA warrants. So they, right. 80%, they lied. And then the other 20%, they had, uh, you know, um, omissions. So basically right. all, and then of they used the Logan act on people that were, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so, I mean, these guys are abusing these tools. They have no intention of using them properly. Um, you know, we need to do away with it. You know, we were fine before we had these. And now, what's the point of having it? Because they're just letting these people in across the border anyway. So, right. you know, we're not safe. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, I, and honestly, it's, it's hard know. to think that anyone who cares about national security doesn't care about border security. That's right. really hard. That's right. So, so I, I agreed to go back in. I found this document. Um, he gave me a, a, an encrypted chat program to use and gave me his um, crypto key so that we could communicate. And we tested it. It worked. I come out uh, a week later with the documents that he asked for and and some and uh, sent him a message and I got no response. Mm. And I sent him a message again. I got no response. Mind you, it's my last day. So I've already turned in my badge. I'm kind of like, wow. you know, uh, you know, up, you know, shit creek without a paddle. At this exactly. Point. So uh, they left me twisting in the wind with this classified thumb drive. And so now. I got no choice but to go home with it and put it in my safe, which is the first time I've ever, you know, mishandled classified information, if you will. Um, so I get home and I call my friend Bill and I go, Bill, uh, I need you to get in touch with your guy because he's not responding to me. And I, I need to get in. I need to get to Devin Nunez's people. And he goes, well, and the that, guy that was my contact before, yeah. he's no longer responding to my calls. I don't know what's All going right. on. You know, I don't trust these guys. So, uh, he goes, so I don't know what you want me to do. And I said, well, then I need you to find me the best whistleblowing attorney you can find me because I am screwed at this point. Right. So, you know, I'm just stressed out beyond belief at this point. And um, you're reliving this right now. I imagine that a lot well, of yeah. Them, yeah, it's 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 just it's, talking about it probably raises my blood pressure, I'm sure. And um so he reached out, uh, he went out, you know, he, he basically talked to a couple of people that, that he found a guy and a guy by the name of Joseph Schmitz, who was on Trump's transition team, who was a whistleblowing attorney, who was a former IG. And he thought, Oh, this, this guy would be good. But then when he reached out to the guy, the guy said, Oh, I have a conflict of interest, but why don't you use my law partner, Michael? He's an excellent whistleblowing attorney. But Michael wouldn't talk to him. He says, no, if you're not the client, I'm not talking to you. So you tell your client, you tell your friend that he needs to call me directly. So, you know, I'm in hiding at this point. You know, I don't even want to go out of my house. This is still 2016, 17. No, this is 2017. Okay. It took me, it took me probably about six to seven months before I could, you know, make that first disclosure. And I made that first disclosure in uh, October 31st of, uh, 2017. Okay. So it was late 2016 when I first, you know, discovered the stuff, but it took a while until Comey came out and did what he did. And then, and then I was like, Oh crap. Now what do I do? How do I blow the whistle? And so I had to do a lot of legal research and reaching out to people and setting up the, you know, drop point and all of that. So it, it took a while. Um, I guess it probably took almost a year that first time. 
So and so you're stressed out for an entire year trying oh, yeah. to figure out how to circumvent this situation. I'm sure I probably lost a few, you know, a few uh, years off my life over those those uh, two or three years. I would imagine. Um, so I ended up uh, at that point. Um, I ended up contacting Michael. I did not want to have a meeting with him anywhere that was not a public place, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to be able to have a private conversation. So he suggested his church, um, which I was happy to hear. I said, all right. So we went to St. Michael's and um, I think it was in Falls Church or it might have been in Bethesda. I can't remember exactly, but I met him in his church and we talked. He said, yeah, you're in some serious trouble. You're basically in the same situation Snowden was in, except you haven't left the country. And, uh, and then it kind of like dawned on me, oh crap, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't realize how bad. Um, cause at this point I didn't have, it was my word against theirs. I didn't really have any protection. And so, uh, he said, the first thing that we need to do is get you under whistleblower protection. So I said, all right, well, I said, all right. Um, and then he says, now are you independently wealthy? And I said, no. He says, do you have any rich relatives? And I said, no. Why are you asking? He says, because I'm very expensive. And I asked how much. He said, $750 an hour. And and I said, "Uh, you can't do this pro bono. And he laughed at me and said, you're going up against Hillary Clinton and her cronies, the senior leadership at the FBI and DOJ, and Russian intelligence agents. Uh, My law partner would throw me out of the office. If I came in here, he says, there's too much liability. So, you know, I went home and, uh, and I wept, I got with my wife and we cried and I thought for sure I'm going to jail or I'm going to die or both. And, um, I'm going to get murdered. And, but we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and, uh, eventually I went to bed and then I woke up every hour on the hour, just full of terror. And I couldn't sleep and I'd get on my knees and pray until I felt peace. And then I'd go back to bed and wake up an hour later, just full of fear and then get on my knees and pray. And that's how I dealt with it for two days. And then, um, and then I got a phone call and Michael told me, he said, you know, um, uh, he says, you know, I, I went, I decided to go down and talk to a woman that I know down in Nashville and, uh, he had done some work for her pro bono. And she's a conservative woman. She's got more money than she needs. And he says, uh, I thought maybe if I went and talked to her that she might be you know, convinced to donate like $10,000 to get a legal fund started for you. Sure. And um, I guess he told her about my story and she asked, you know, how much is this going to end up costing this young man? And he told her probably a couple hundred thousand dollars. So she pulled out her checkbook and wrote a check for $200,000. Oh, Wow. God is good, my friend. Yeah. And then between eight lawyers, you know, I had between, you know, my whistleblowing attorney, my defense attorney, and all the co-counsels, you know, it it came to $198,000. So um, God provided, you know, for for every bit of my my legal defense. And um, so then a couple weeks later after that, he called me and he said, you know, we have um, uh, now we have some money in the account. So uh, he says, we need to go see a defense attorney and um, and get some legal advice. He said, I'm a whistleblowing attorney, but I'm not a defense attorney. And I think we need to prepare 
just in case. At this point, you know, they didn't even know who I was. But he says, but once we start working on this, he says, then it's possible they may find out and we need to be prepared you know, for whatever defense that we might need to mount. So, so he went, uh, we decided to go see Joe to Geneva and Victoria Towsing. Um, Victoria Towsing was representing uh, William Joseph Campbell, who was the, uh, he was the, the whistleblower that, that had, um, was an FBI informant that had all the videos on Rossatom and all their dirty deeds and their kickbacks. And so it was kind of a similar related case because, you know, they were working with this company. And so, and he came forward and had gone public about Uranium One and all of that and Rossatom's, you know, dirty deeds before that. So uh, we went to go see them. And before we went inside, I just said, Michael, I said, I'm so stressed out, man. Can we pray? And he said, absolutely. He grabbed me by the hand and he prayed with me. And um, yeah. 10 years earlier, to that, you know, to that day when we were you know, sitting in the car praying, uh, my wife and I were living in Southern California in Moreno Valley, and we were going to a church out there called Palm Canyon um, Christian Fellowship. And they had this uh, thing they were doing with everybody, uh, trying to teach us how to hear God's voice. And so what we were supposed to do is we were supposed to fast and pray and then sit with a notepad and just be silent. And listen for that still small voice. And if you hear something, write it down. Sure. So I did, you know, I did what I was told to do. And I heard very clearly, go to Sakars. Now, this is back, you know, before smartphones. So I had to get on my computer. I got on MapQuest. It was before Google Maps. And uh, and I looked for a place called Sakars. And there was nowhere in the U.S., not a single place called Sakars. And my wife remembered this story because she had said to me, well, maybe you heard God wrong. Maybe it was Socorro, which means help in Spanish. But I was like, no, I know what I heard. I heard Sakaris. And I just kind of forgot about it. So now fast forward, I'm sitting in the car with Michael. We're praying. And he says, amen. And all of a sudden, I remember this, this word that I heard 10 years earlier. And I realize sure. his last name is Sakaris. <laughs> okay now i didn't pick this guy you know my subconscious mind couldn't have made this happen this was a miracle you know it was no doubt in my mind and the peace that i had at that moment lasted you know it continued on i still have it today that that crippling fear i mean i still had moments of fear but it was not like like you gotta understand the kind of crippling fear that i had from the moment I walked, went home with that thumb drive, it was like, I, I, it's the only time in my life I've ever had anxiety. Like I couldn't sleep. Sure. I couldn't eat. You know, I was getting sick. That's how bad it was. So from that point forward, I had no more fear. It was gone because the only way that could have happened is that meant that God had been steering me for 10 years, preparing me. For that, for that moment. And the whole reason why he told me was that was not so that I could figure out what that meant, but so that when it happened, when I was in those circumstances, then and only then would I understand it and it would give me peace. Hmm. It, it reminded me of when uh, Jesus said to his disciples, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. They had no idea what he meant. They thought he was talking about the actual physical temple. 
He was talking right. about his own body. He was talking about his resurrection. But it wasn't until after he resurrected that they understood it. So to me, that was kind of what happened to me, you know, in that moment. And it was powerful. Nothing like knowing God is on your side. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, and it's, it's the same way I go about doing some of these stories that I do on here and saying some of the things that I say. I've heard quite a bit. People say, aren't you afraid to, to say that or to, you know, to talk about those things? This is not at all. Um, God is on my side and I yeah. will do whatever's right. And I don't care what the consequences for doing what's right is because in, in the, in the scheme of reality, your life is one little teeny. So I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I, I'll do whatever's right and let the chips fall where they may. That's kind of how I feel. I'm at the point now in my life where it's like, look, um, when it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And I don't care what any of these guys think that they can do. They're not mm -hmm. going to be able to touch me unless God allows them to. That's right. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, I'm, it's like, uh, you know, like the mob, right? You know, they're, you know, I'm a marked man, right? You know, they You're can't touch me. Man, unless, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm God's marked man. So, um, yeah, so we went through, uh, we went through a lot. Uh, we got through that. Um, we, we then figured out after that meeting that the best route was to go the whistleblower route. Cause we were toying with the idea of going to a U.S. attorney, making a deal, but um, the U S attorney, that would be the one that we would need to take it to at that time was the one in Washington DC and she was corrupt and everybody knew it. And um, so we decided, well, you know, our best bet is to um, I think Michael Horowitz had, just like the week before had just um did that report that was a scathing report on the fbi and uh the one where he basically said that um um mccabe had 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 a lack of candor you know yeah. basically lied to him um so that was like the first evidence that we had that that horowitz was actually doing his job so we decided to go that route. So my lawyer reached out to him. Um, he made several concessions. Uh, the Horowitz did. He allowed for me to maintain my anonymity. Um, I was assigned a code name, uh, MC Pota. Funny little story about that. My my lawyer was a Cuban dissident. Uh, he came to America when he was like fourteen. Saw his dad, you know, in a a uh, Castro uh, work camp. Hated communists. So um, he tells you know, Horowitz's office. Uh, yeah, my client shall, you know, herefore to be called MC Pota, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he tells me this. I'm like, he gives me this paper and I'm reading it and it goes MC Pota. I'm like, MC Pota? That's the best you could do? Look, man, I'm only going to do this like <laughs> once in my life. You couldn't pick a cooler name than that. Yeah. Like, like maybe 008 or something like that. Yeah, right. And uh, he goes, oh, no, no, you'll, you'll like this. You'll, you'll love it. Trust me. And I go, what does it even mean? He says, making communists pay out the ass. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, I was like, oh, man, I love it, dude. I'm, I'm owning that. So that so was a great name. Um, so now we, we had this agreement, um, you know, that, that I would. So we had to come up with the terms of like where we would do the you know, exchange of prisoners. And so um, we asked if, uh, if he wanted us to turn in the thumb drive. Uh, he said no, that I was authorized to maintain it just in case the hipsy and the sissy did nothing. Uh, we sure. could take it to the judiciary or you know some other committee. 
Um, so he told me he wanted me to print it out and I don't think he knew how many pages it was. <laughs> so, but it was like this thick and, imagine. uh, and I ended up putting it in two envelopes, you know, writing, you know, secret, no foreign on the inside and on the outside, you know, a plain envelope. And I, of course I, I took precautions. I put, you know, I wore gloves. I didn't want my fingerprints on anything. Um, you know, I, uh, I did everything I could to keep my DNA off of it. And, um, and then I, you know, for the day of the, the, the meetup, we had decided that we would meet at St. John's church across from the white house. Is this the same church they ended up burning down? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, um, so, so I arrived down in DC with this big old packet and, um, Michael, uh, he, he's, uh, waiting across the street at, at a hotel there. And so I went with him and, and we walked across the street to St. John's and the doors are always open there. So we walked inside it. We go down to the front row and he goes, uh, do you want to pray? And I said, yeah. And so we, we got <laughs> Absolutely. our pray. And I mean, I think he was worried too, you know, that somebody was going to, someone's going to make us go away, you know? So, and, and a lot of things could have gone wrong here, you know, because this is the one moment that we're going to give them an opportunity to come, you know, they could have sent a task force and had me arrested, but no, they, they agreed, you know, to follow the instructions. And of course, having a lawyer, you know, helped ensure that they would follow. And someone a little bit easier. Yeah. So uh, he goes outside. He tells me, he says, all right, sit here in the front, front pew. And he says, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to call. And then Horowitz is going to send his senior staffer over. I'll escort him in. And when you feel a tap on your shoulder, don't say a word. Just lift the package up over your shoulder like this. Oh, that's that true. Way he, that way he never sees your face, doesn't capture any you know audio. And I told him, I said, look, I don't want them getting a picture of me. I don't want them getting any audio of me. I don't want them getting, you know, um, you know, my, my fingerprints. So I had gloves on, you know, and, um, so I had a hoodie, I had a hat, I had sunglasses, I had shaved off all my facial hair. So it looked different. You know, I was doing everything I could to try to minimize any way for them to identify me. And, um, so he comes up, I feel that tap on my shoulder and I hand the package. Then he escorts them out. And then Michael comes back in and he goes, He's all right, we're done. Uh, let's pray again. <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> so we got on our knees, we prayed again. And then we, we went outside and we went our separate ways. And there was a process of like uh, 21 days that it's supposed to take to get reviewed and a credibility rating and all that. And uh, so the, uh, the IG's office, uh, 30 days passed and we hadn't heard anything. So Michael says, uh, you know, I think we should call him. So he calls come to find out that my file was sitting in uh, uh, the AG's office. And, uh, oh gosh, what was his name? The uh, Jeffries, who's the, uh, the AG at the time? I'm trying to remember. The one that basically said he was not going to, to you know, he was going to, uh, recuse himself from all things uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm trying to look at Jeffrey Clark. No, 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 no. No, Rosenstein was his deputy. This was before, uh, this was the one right before um, uh, 
right before uh, Bill Barr. Trump ended up Rosen? No. Hmm. No, no, no. In any case. It's right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I know it happens that way. You get some yeah. of that alpha brain that Joe Rogan talks about so often. We get oh, man, I need some of that stuff bad. Here, I'll, <laughs> I'll find it real quick here. Um, let's see here. The AG. Jeff Sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jeff, yeah, Sessions. Okay, I'm looking up Jeffries. And, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not Jeff. I knew Jeff was in there. It's Jeff Sessions. So Jeff Sessions, get this. He gets my packet, completely ignores it, says, oh, I'm not looking at that. Mind you, he's obligated under law to give it a credibility rating, and yet he doesn't. So basically, uh, Horowitz contacts my lawyer, and he says, look, this is unprecedented. I've never seen this before. And he goes, um, he goes, will you accept it if I give it a credibility rating? And so we said, yes. So he goes and he's got access, logs into FBI net. Every document I had in there was serialized. So he could easily pull up those documents and verify they're identical, which he did. And so he asked us for more time. So we gave him like an extra month. And so he went through and found all the documents were credible. He even went so far as to say, you know, this is a national security matter of urgent concern, which is the highest that they can, you know, uh, uh, it's the highest uh, rating they can give it. Uh, and he gives us permission to take it to both the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Mm -hmm. So my lawyer reaches out to the House, um, talks to, uh, uh, to their liaison out there, a guy by the name of Corden Hall. And he says, um, yeah, yeah, this is, uh, that, that would be great. Um, you know, we can uh, get the documents. And he says, uh, is, you know, is your client willing to testify? Mm. And, you know, my, my lawyer says, you know, tells me this. And I go, why do I need to testify? The documents speak for themselves. I said, the only thing, you know, I said, what do you think? And he goes, uh, he goes, well, you know, you could do it and they can put you behind a screen. He goes, but honestly, I don't trust any of the Democrats. They would probably leak your name at the first opportunity. And I go, that's what I think. I agree. I and I said, uh, tell them not no, but hell no. And so he does. And they come back and they tell him, well, then we don't want to take the documents from him. <laughs> like, What? You know, it's like these already have the stamp of approval by right. Horowitz. They've been so what they're really trying to do is get you to out yourself. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I'm not doing it. And uh, so we went back to Horowitz and Horowitz, you know, it's just shaking his head. Can't believe it. And he goes, ask them if they will take the documents if I deliver them. So we did. And they said, yes. Uh, I think what was going on was. They're right around that time. I heard in a podcast much later by uh, a podcast that was done with Trey Gowdy and uh, and Devin Nunez that the FBI had tried to set them up, had asked them to come look at some documents at a skiff. They said they were going to go down there, but they didn't because they got word that they were being set up. And then sure enough, the documents leaked. The FBI blamed them for leaking it, but they were able to prove that they oh, never went wow. down there and looked at them. And so they were scared. They didn't know who I was because remember the guy didn't want to see my badge. So you guys are operating they, like the damn mafia. Yeah. So I think they thought that I was like a you know a plant, and so they didn't want to take any. That's why they didn't return my call. 
or my message. That's why they left me in the predicament I was in. And now the same reason why they weren't going to take my documents. So this is why David Baumblatt refers to them as like the German Stasi. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they agreed to take the documents from, um, from Horowitz himself. And so Horowitz brought the documents. He had a senior staffer deliver both to the house and the Senate. We found out um, like a year later when I filed a complaint on the FBI agent that was harassing me. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute, but. Have you noticed the ever alarming 400,000 cell towers that have gone up in the United States alone? How about the electronics that reside in every room of our homes and Wi-Fi that runs 24-7? 5G cell phones are carried in our pockets hours on end. Common complaints are ringing in the ear, sleep deprivation, palpitations, headaches, memory loss, and so much more. Redemption Shield is on the cutting edge of offering products that protect your family from electromagnetic and microwave radiation, from Faraday bags, earthing bed sheets, Wi-Fi router covers, hats, scarves, bed sanctuaries. This will not be going away anytime soon. We will continue to see only faster speeds, 6G, 7G, and more exposure to EMF than any time in our history. Start protecting yourself now. Go to RedemptionShield.com and get grounded and shielded today. Use code PATRIOT and save 10% that the Senate never even got the documents. Whoever their liaison was shoved them in a drawer and basically never gave them to him. You know, again, violating the law. Uh, the House did get them. They said these documents were in fact, um, you know, important to their investigation. And they, they assured us that, you know, they were looking into it. Then the, uh, like three months later, you know, I think passed and, um, and, you know, and of course, uh, the house lost the the election and the house you know that still blows me away to this day you know uh adam Schiff ends up becoming the he becomes the the chair of the uh house permanent select committee on intelligence and i confirmed um there's a video up um where i am talking to devin nunez I went to a um, reawaken tour down in Florida this last year. I love those. <laughs> I had a I great conversation there. with Mike Flynn and Clay yep. Clark and a lot yeah. of those guys. We spent a lot of time. This is where I met Ashley Babbitt's mother, by the way. Mm -hmm. We just had one right out here in Nevada not long ago, and I'm going to the next one in December in California. Yeah. Well, I was sitting there. Um, I, I was mainly there to do media row. And because uh, I had just announced that I was running for office. And so, um, you know, my, you know, my media guy said, hey, you should go down here because I can get you in a media row and you can do like 20 interviews in two days. So I was like, all right. So I paid, you know, good money for good seats. And then, you know, my wife and I were basically in media row like the whole time for like two days. And so finally, on the second day, she goes, you know, we paid good money for these seats. At least let's take a break and let's go sit down. <laughs> and you know, watch one speaker and we just happened to walk in and sit at the front and we're literally like right at the front and Devin Nunez and Cash Patel walk up on stage with Clay Clark and they're like hey we're gonna have an open mic so people can ask questions and the guy's standing right there with a microphone so I get in line I'm like fourth in line and so I get up there and I go uh, the mics passed me and, and I said, uh, you know, hey, uh, my name's Nate Kane. 
Uh, I was the Uranium One whistleblower that brought documents, uh, you know, um, you know, through the whistle I see WPA to your office. Facial expressions change immediately on the. Uh, oh yeah, he had that oh shit look on his face. At least yeah. he didn't know what I was going to say. And I got you know I blew the whistle on Hillary Clinton and her you know and the FBI's cover up of all of her crimes, and the crowd of you know I don't know how many thousands it was, but it was that whole place was packed. They stand up and they're like giving me a, you know, a standing ovation, right? Must have felt great. I mean, you <laughs> deserved did, it. Man. Let's, let's it not, let's not even kid yourself. What you went through, 99.9% of people would not have done that. And I mean, yeah. you deserve a, a, a lot of appreciation for well, what they, you they, did. they gave me a standing ovation and uh, even Clay Clark said, well, they must really like you, you know? <laughs> and so then, um, so I, I asked him, I said, the, the question I have is, um, did you guys ever get those documents? And if so, what happened? Were you able to get anything done? Do they still exist? And and then he shared, you know, about he and he said it. He said it on, you know, in front of everybody on the camera, front of the cameras and everything. He said um, once uh, Adam Schiff took over, he buried and shut down every investigation they had going and buried the evidence. So guy. I don't want to say too much about him because I just the, the passion kind of overrides oh, I know. my, good, I my know. good sense. But he's just got man. those sociopath eyes. Like yeah, he does you, right. You just yeah, you know you he's see the whites above the eyes. Yeah, he's he, he, he <laughs> yeah. he's if you remember, he was talking all the stuff about Russian disinformation and collusion constantly, and he used to hold these folders up and he would go, "We have the proof." Right here, yeah, yeah. and then the FBI, at one point, from my understanding, questioned him. Well, hey, can you share your proof? And and, and he tells the FBI because th that was made public that oh he didn't have any proof. Fifteen minutes later, out in front of the build the FBI building, he's sitting there telling the reporter about irrefutable irrefutable yeah, proof yeah, yeah. again. I mean, the guy is a, just an, an overwhelming just a liar, yeah, scumbag politician. Now, that being said, um, you know, I, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit on that story with with, sure. uh, with uh, Devin Nunez. But so four months after I finished blowing the whistle with the IG's office, I knew I knew they were going to come raid me any day. All right. Mm -hmm. Listen, I was trained on signals intelligence. I saw the signals. On my phone, on my computer, um, you know, I caught things that were going on that were indicative that I was being listened to. Right. So, um, so much to my dismay, my lawyer calls me up and, you know, and I think, you know, he's not a signals guy. He doesn't have a clearance. So he doesn't even, you know, he never saw the documents, by the way, that I turned in. So I only described them to, him, you know, and. But did we get past the part where they said whether or not they saw the documents or? Yeah, yeah. They saw them. And they said that they 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 were important to their investigation. So and that's as far as they took it. And they took it. And okay. yeah. And I don't, I didn't know at that point. I didn't care. I was done. You know, I was happy to be free of it. Yeah. I would imagine. But, you know, about four months later, I start seeing indicators that, you know, I'm being spied on. And, um, so I ended up, uh, my lawyer calls me up and he goes, Hey, um, 
and he always started every conversation with this is a you know attorney client uh, privilege protected conversation you know blah 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 right and then he goes hey you know i've been thinking um we need to get that thumb drive out of your home and somewhere safe and i'm going oh crap <laughs> you know, he just said that on the phone and i knew and sure enough the next day they raided me and so i got raided by 16 agents um it was a mar-a-lago style raid it wasn't i didn't i always say i got mar-a-lago not when you Rogers say mar-a-lago style raid that means they had a general warrant they violated the fourth amendment didn't say what they were looking for where they were looking or anything it. you got it they came in. They only gave me the schedule A. They refused. They did not give me the schedule B. I didn't know, by the way, because I mean, you know, I'd never been rated. Before. And let me guess, they didn't walk you with them room for room nope. like they're supposed to. No, nope. and so you could see what they, they were they, doing. They sat me. They sat me on the couch. Uh, Sixteen agents. They went all around. My, they did all kinds of things wrong. Um, they also, uh, the the supervisory uh, agent in charge told me, um, "Do you have any guns?" And I said, "Yes." He says, all right, um, you know, I need you to take me your guns. And then he asked me to open my safe and asked me to hand them to him. Okay. He could have shot me so dead right strained. there. Yeah. As soon as you turned around, a gun, around in, my a gun hand. in your hand. Yeah. Yep. So, but I handed him my guns. They took them. They zip tied them. They wrote down the serial numbers of all my guns, none of which I own anymore. I got rid of them all. <laughs> Started over. Um, now I've got some really great ones. Yeah, I, I, I would have taken them somewhere and had them melted down so I could have seen yeah. them melted down. But uh, but anyway, so they they uh, yeah, it was a it was just a terrible ordeal, man. Um, they they basically detained me on my in my on my living room couch while they went around. Uh, and by the way, I told them right off the bat I was a protected whistleblower under the ICWPA. I told them that multiple times. I told them that I had a lawyer. Didn't matter. He kept questioning me. And then. Um, yeah, that they, national security stuff just trumps the Constitution, doesn't right, it? Right. That's right. And then he ended up going through. Uh, they, they, they moved me. And then they went and searched the living room. And um, in the end, they had like 19, you know, those boxes that they took out of my house with, you know, all my electronics. Uh, they forced me to out myself to my employer. Uh, they they took things like they took some of my wife's journals, all right, which were not included on the search warrant, and I wouldn't have known that because they didn't give me the Schedule B, and I had right. to have my defense attorney actually threaten them. And finally, I got a copy of it, and there was a lot of stuff they took that was not on there. They took um, electronics that weren't mine, but were my wife's. They took um, they had a, there were two things that were very interesting. I had a book that was signed by Bill Still. That was the only book they took. And I knew right then they were trying to set me up, you know, as like an anti-government because it was a book about a, um, uh, a plot. Uh, and it was a true story, but it was a book about a plot by, uh, who was it? It was, uh. Um, Richard Nixon to to it was a coup plot that he had apparently had attempted to do or something like that or had you know planned to do but then one of the generals said no I'm not going to do it and um, but he wrote a book about it his mm. father was you know involved in that case and very new interesting revelations about his case about Watergate that have just 
been made public finally after all these mm-hmm. years that would have finally vindicated him, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately, what ended up, I think, getting him, uh, forcing him to step down was this this plot thing, this uh, coup plot that he was going to try to get the military to keep him in power. Wow. So, anyways, this book was signed by Bill Still, and uh, they took that book, and they also took a flyer that my daughter and I and my, I think it was my daughter and I and my wife had all gone down to Washington, D.C. for uh, when Brandon Straka did the walk away march, my uh, my sister in law had had was a recovering liberal, and she, you know, had, <laughs> had basically um, converted to you know sanity, and had left. She got red pilled, huh? And she did. She got red pilled, and um, and so we went down there to support her. And while we were down there, somebody had handed a flyer to us for a tea party um, meeting. Well, they took that flyer. That flyer was like, you know, folded up under, you know, my daughter's bed, I think, because they gave her one and gave me one. And they took that flyer. So they clearly had an intent to make a case against me as an anti, you know, government, anti-American, whatever. Um, uh, he asked me afterwards, uh, and, and I, I did point out to him, I had I no longer had the thumb drive, but I had moved everything onto a secured um uh, uh, to a secured uh, SIM card that I had encrypted uh, with some pretty heavy-duty encryption. And I gave them the password to it. I told them, I said, that's got all the information. I, look, I was happy to get that thing out of my hands, right? But, um, you know, they went through all the inventory, and then they left. And I remember the next day and I given them my lawyer's card said, look, I don't want to be talked. I don't want to be asking more questions. Please contact my lawyer for for Mm -hmm. any future questions. He calls me the next day and starts asking me for the password to my phone. You know, look, if you just, you know, give me the password, your phone, I can, I can just get it, you know, cloned and I can get it back to you right away. And I'm like, all right, fine. I had nothing to hide anyways, but you know, I believed him. And then I was like, then he's like, oh, and I need the password to, you know, to your government computer. And I'm like, I can't do that. Right. And he goes, sure you can. I said, no, I've signed a non-disclosure that I will not give the password out to anybody. And I said, but I can give you the phone number of the, of the, uh, uh, you know, of the, uh, the headed, um, um, uh, the, the ed, uh, administrative, uh, you know, guy over there and he can, you know, get you in. So I gave him that contact number. He's like, no, I need you to give me the password. And I, and I said, no, I'm trying to get you to violate your oath. Exactly. He's trying to get me to violate something. And I I figured it out. I'm like, no, I'm not going to give it to you. And he's, well, you know, how about you give me the password to your computer? Then I said, no, I I think I'm done talking with you. Um, Respectfully. You need to contact my lawyer. And then he, you know, made some threat to me over the phone and hangs up. He's pissed off. So at that point, the guy goes on a um, on his own, like you know, private mission to try to destroy me. So w- when I was listening to um, to your former guest uh, that you had on here, Baumblatt, um, uh, David Baumblatt, yeah, yeah, I, he was talking about how vindictive they are. Yeah, boy, is he right? I'll tell you, this guy, he went on a personal mission to try to destroy me by going to all of my neighbors, all of my friends. Um, you know, basically going and interrogating them and asking them, 
you know, hey, have you ever seen, you know, Mr. Kane do this? Have you ever seen him do that? Have you ever heard him say anything negative about his country? Have he ever wow. told you anything classified? Blah, blah, blah. He went to my son's girlfriend's parents, interrogated them for six hours. I barely knew these people. And he's basically trying to, you know, uh, trying to make me look bad. He's like, oh, you know, I would never let my daughter over at that man's house. You know, he's got guns laying all over the place. Imagine that. You know, I- all this stuff. He tells now, is there any recourse you can take for that? What's that? Is there any recourse you can take for? I asked, and my lawyer said, you know, there's really nothing you can do. You can, and then I, I ended up, I did take recourse. I ended up uh, going to the uh, Senate Judiciary, and I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But um, so I, I was just like, you know, he he ended up. My daughter gets called out of her classroom, mind you, she's it's her senior year. She's 18 years old. They call her to the de- uh, to the front office, and there's a plainclothes officer there, uh, who you know, and they have the resource officer and the principal, and they interrogate my daughter. She's a minor, her, huh? She's a minor. No, no, she's 18. Okay, but but the, she's a senior. But they're asking her, they're asking her, um, you know, we have a tip, and you know, we or well, I don't think they said that to her, but they just said. Uh, you know, we have some questions, you know, uh, uh, do you know what inappropriate touches and what appropriate touches? And, you know, has your father ever touched you in any of these inappropriate touch places oh where, you know, where, where you would have, you know, your bathing suit and all this stuff? I mean, they're like my da- my daughter's horrified. She's like, what the hell are you talking about? And she's thinking, who's saying this about me? You know, who's saying this about my family? And so she was furious when my my wife picked her up and. And she was angry and, you know, and my wife said, well, what's going on? And so she told her, so they, she went right back to the school and was like, I want answers now. And so she found out after talking to the resource officer that, that, um, uh, the guy was a, a, a detective from, you know, Frederick County Sheriff's department, because remember, you know, those types of crimes, you know, it's not in the jurisdiction of the FBI, you know, um, State unless law. there's an interstate thing. So they have to, but he's, you know, but, we contacted the the uh, sheriff's office and we're like, hey, what the hell is going on here? You know, and my wife, you know, basically demanded answers. And they finally admitted to her, well, we had a, a tip from law enforcement. And we had to follow through with it. But we've already closed the case. Clearly, there's nothing, you know, that's going on or anything like that. But it was Damn just like harassment, harassment type stuff like that. He was fishing, trying to find something, right? He goes to my... My son, um, my my second oldest son, had just gone through a divorce. He had gotten married early, right out of high school, you know, to his high school sweetheart. Things did not end well. Um, and he, you know, they ended up getting divorced, like, right before all of this took place. And so he went to my son's ex-father-in-law. Because remember, they're spying. They're listening to all my conversations. They they're listening to all the phones of all family members. They know the pressure points they can try to push on. The reason they went to my youngest son's girlfriend's parents is because my youngest son decided that he lived by my rules. I had to have that you know love conversation with them. You know that parents have to have when your you know kid turns eighteen, and he didn't want to live by my rules and come home when I said he needed to be home, and you know he was staying out and he had a minor girlfriend. And I didn't want him getting her pregnant. I'm like, look, you know, while you're living under my roof, you you know, this is how I expect you, you know, do I expect exactly. you to be home by, you know, midnight, uh, you know, on the weekends and, you know, 
10 o'clock, you know, during the school days because she's still in school. And, you know, I thought I was being reasonable, but he didn't think so. And so, you know, I ended up basically, um, again, they were listening to these conversations. So they went over there and caused problems for them. They threatened the mom telling her that they had looked at her emails, uh, that they knew about her past as a, as a, uh, a foreign exchange um, uh, English teacher in Russia. And they were looking into her past. So they admitted they, to her that they violated her rights. Yep. They, 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 they told her, well, and when I say they, it was not a, they, it was one man. That's the other thing that told me everything I needed to know because one man can be a they department policy. Yeah. You got to have two people there. <laughs> you always have to have a witness. Oh, really? Yeah. They can't go with okay. one agent to a house to go start questioning. Yeah. There's no checks no. and balances at that point. Yeah. It would make complete right. sense. Yeah. That's right. So the guy went over there. He basically, you know, was, was uh, interrogating, asking all these questions. He, uh, he threatened, you know, the husband was a, uh, was a, a federal contractor. He's worried about a security clearance. You know, they tried to get my oh, son yeah. to wear a wire against me. Okay. Yeah. Cause they know that he's pissed at me because, you know, I basically, I told him it's my way or the highway. He chose the highway. So he had moved out and was living on his own. Bomb has a story like this as well about a, a husband and a wife. Yep. Something very similar that he Yeah. So about. then then they went after um they the they uh so they did my they got to my daughter, they got to my my uh my youngest son, they went to my second oldest son's uh ex uh father in law and they questioned him and you know he's a contractor that has a security clearance, so they're like you know giving him the third degree you know, about his association with me and has he ever talked about classified information and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes down uh, that road of, have you ever seen Mr. Kane be inappropriate towards his daughter? And at that point, John said, you know what? I'm done talking. You get the hell off my property. And when the FBI agent is walking down the steps, you know, John says to him, why are you always, why do you guys always try to ruin people's lives? And the FBI agent turns around and says to him, you just watch too much Fox News. <laughs> you watch too much Fox News. Yep, that is not the the. Oh my goodness! So it's Again, not as if he was you know, there by himself without another you know agent with him. And so then, uh, then the guy. So then John calls me and tells me what happened. And right then, that's when I put two and two together between the high school, what happened there, and the FBI that agent going to John's house and asking those questions. So I'm just like, sure. So three of my kids now have been impacted, right? Caused, you know, stress and, and all of that. The fourth one is where I finally, you know, they, they, they crossed the line and, uh, you know, at that they, point, they, they, they went were, further than what you just said. Yeah. They crossed yeah. the line even further. I had okay. an autistic. So I had an autistic son. Okay. I have an autistic son and, and they, they basically, um, they tried to set him up. I'm certain it was the FBI. I have no doubt in my mind and, and I've got reasons for believing this, but my son comes in, you know, and, and freaking out and telling me that, you know, he was on some, and he's, you know, he's autistic. He's telling me that he was on some dating app and he's, uh, you know, I think he's like 19 or 20 at this, you know, at this point or something like that. And they're like, you know, he's like, I'm on, I'm on this dating app talking to this girl. She starts sending me naked pictures of herself. And, and then I even, and he says, I even told her, I don't want, you know, I don't want naked pictures. I just want to be friends. And, 
you know, it's different. You know, he's he's autistic. He's not like a typical, you know, 20 year old. But, I, you know, and he told me, he says, and then, you know, then, you know, some some guy gets on there saying that it's it's her dad and that she's underage and all this. And, and as I said, let me see your phone. So I got I, my blood I, boiling over here, Nate. So I look at his phone and I'm looking at the conversation and it's exactly as he said. He told her, why are you sending these to me? I didn't ask these. I didn't ask for this. I want to just be friends and, you know, this and that. And I told him, I said, delete these videos or delete this video. She's saying, delete this pictures. I said, you know, and, and then you need to, you know, don't talk to this guy. You haven't done anything wrong. You've not yeah. broken any laws. Just delete it. You didn't ask for it. I, I said, keep the texts so that you have the text messages in case you need them. But do, you know, but Get delete the these pictures. pictures. Yeah. So. So that's exactly uh, what he did. And then he gets a phone call again from this guy claiming to be the father, threatening him, telling him that the cops are on their way. They're going to arrest him. They're going to put him in jail for, you know, for uh, going after underage girls or whatever. And my son runs in his room and tries to kill himself. At that point, I was done. Man. These people had crossed the line. And the reason I know it was the FBI that did this, because we moved here to West Virginia later, and these bastards called me on my phone, a new phone number that wasn't even registered yet, and some guy claiming to be with some Interpol you know, law enforcement unit claiming that I need to call this girl's father and that, you know, you know, I need to work something out with them. And I said, what's there to work out? Hmm. I said, first off, my son did not commit a crime and he did what he was lawfully required to do. He deleted the photos and he cut off all communication with the girl. And I said, I've got text messages to prove that he did not ask for this. And he told the girl that he didn't want those pictures. I said, so I have nothing to say to this man. And I said, and if you bring this up one more time, I said, I have a mind to call the cops and report that girl because she violated the law. She mm -hmm. can go to jail for, you know, for, and I, and I kind of had a suspicion already that this was the FBI. And the guy goes, well, you know, you better not talk to me that way or I'm going to have the, you know, I'll have the police there, you know, at your house. I said, bring him. And I said a few other choice words at this point. I was, you know, pretty pissed off. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I basically, you know, but I knew there's no way he could have got my phone number unless he had access to some systems, you know, to, to be able to figure that out. And, uh, and I knew that the guy was full of crap. And so I know it was the FBI. So I was pretty, was the girl even real? What's that? Was the girl even real? Probably not. Probably yeah, I would not assume that at this point that the girl wasn't even a, a real, a real person. It certainly, certainly did not look like a minor. So, mm -hmm. you know, the guy was full of crap. So at that point, I was done. I was so pissed off because they, you know, they had tried to, they were harassing my mentally challenged son, trying, you know, it, it, to the point where it put his life at risk. So at that point, that's when I contacted um, Lindsey Graham had just been made the chairman of the judiciary. I contacted um, his office. I said, I would like to come down and talk. I was the whistleblower that, you know, and I'm like, I'll, I'll tell you everything, whatever you want to know. 
So I went down there with my lawyer. We gave them skeletal notes, but basically I told them everything. But what that means in illegal terms is they can't put it on congressional record. I told them everything. Two weeks later, the guy was no longer an FBI agent. He was now, you know, some, you know, uh, you know, he basically, a, I don't want to say more than that. And I don't want to say how I know, but I know he was no longer an FBI agent. So this is the kind of crap that they do to people. Yeah. And it is why, you know, look, before I kept my mouth shut. I didn't say anything about this publicly. I only wanted to bring it to the, you know, to the, to the proper authorities. But when this guy did this, he turned me into a monster. He basically yeah. turned me into somebody who was never going to relent. Yeah. And I will and tell how you, can you, when they're going after your kids, how can you? I will never shut up about this. I will speak about, and I don't care what they send after me. Look, I got poisoned twice. After that, I started doing interviews. I started talking about it. I started going public about everything because I figured, you know what? I've been silent enough. Screw these guys. Who was the other and guy I, that, that happened to Gunderson? I don't remember. There's been a number of number of agents that have been screwed over and they've but, gone after. And so hurt. You say you got poisoned twice. What are the circumstances surrounding that? So the first, say. the first time I got poisoned. So both times, interestingly enough, and I don't know if it's coincidence or whatever, but it was both times was after I'd done an interview and I'd been asked the question, was I writing a book? And I said, yes. And in both cases, uh, within a couple of days, I got poisoned. So the first time um, my office, I worked down in Washington, D.C., because after so the FBI made sure I lost my job, by the way, at the at the VA, they made sure that I got fired from my job at the VA because I had left the FBI by the time they raided me. Um, so I had to get another job and uh, I took a job down in D.C. with a defense contractor. My clearance was still intact. And by the way, I still hold my top secret clearance, not even a ding, not even a suspension because Why I did everything. That is after all of this. The people that are in charge of giving out said clearance. The FBI is not in charge of it. It's in charge. DCSA controls clearances. Okay. The Defense uh, uh, Counterintelligence uh, Security Agency. Oh. And when they reviewed, and I reported it immediately to my security manager that I had a law enforcement interaction. I told them all the details about my blowing, blowing the whistle. I was protected under ICWPA. I had followed, you know, to the best of my ability, the law. And, um, you know, and I, of course, I never did anything. Uh, you know, I didn't go put it on a server in my bathroom in the basement of my home. You know, <laughs> I stuck it in a safe, you know, and then I contacted the proper authorities. So, yeah, um, that's why I still have my clearance. And uh, but they they certainly, you know, they tried to destroy my life and they tried to destroy the lives of my children. And tried to create, you know, discourse between me and my family and, you know, sure. and all kinds of issues. I mean, my my youngest son doesn't talk to me to this day, you know, and um, and I totally blame the FBI for that. So all of this stuff and, you know, it is. Um, you know, I'm angry. I'm not going to lie. And you should be. I have forgiven this man. Only because I knew, and until I did, 
you know, it would eat away at my soul. Yeah, you would have no peace. So I have I have given it over to God, but I trust that God will bring justice without a doubt. Now, we moved. Um, oh, so the poisoning thing. So the first one, I went to my office. I never locked my door, never, because there was always a good chance that I was going to forget my key. To be honest with you, sure. <laughs> and uh, and and so we had a we had a locked door to the outside, you know, of the main office, and then but my door to my you know individual office. I, I always left it unlocked, but I came in one day, the door was locked. Sure enough, I didn't have my key. I had to climb up and over to get into it. Until and I get in there <laughs> and my, the desk, which was away from the door was over by the wall or over by the window. The desk was covered with a very light, like white powdery substance. And I took it and I just kind of brushed it off the, the desk. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I started going into AFib. And I started having like heart palpitations and and everything. Well, Patriots, I hope it was everything that you thought it would be. And part three is going to be just as explosive. Now, like I said, we need people like Nate in Congress supporting the best interest of America. West Virginians need him in Congress representing them. So if you have the ability to, in the description of this video, go down and click and give whatever you can. $10, $20 means a lot to a guy who's fighting special interest groups and lobbyists. We need America First candidates everywhere that we can get them in Congress, Senate, local government, wherever we can get them. Because that's the only way we're going to undo this mess. Kevin McCarthy was just the start. It's time to clean house and drain the swamp. And it starts with supporting people like Nate Kane. So, the silent majority, you need to stop being silent and stand your ground. See you next time on the Patriots Prayer Podcast. My people of this country and we're under attack. They banning us, they cancel us for speaking the facts. If you man enough, come stand with us, take USA back.